0: Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Kitty Sewell. I've been in the radio business for nearly 20 years, mostly working for public radio in the United States. In 2013, I quit my stable job and moved to Rome for just one year. That's where this podcast begins. And if you're new, don't be afraid to start at the beginning. A lot of interesting topics have come up over the years, and I'd hate for you to miss out on the adventure. My co-host is Tiffany Parks. She's a writer, and the editor of Where Rome magazine. And she's an expat who moved to Rome over a decade ago with a determination to stay whatever it took. She's also my childhood friend. I met her on the school bus in sixth grade. I hope you like the show and if you do, tell a friend and take the time to write us a review. We're glad you're here. Now on with the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Tiffany is away this week, but I have a special guest with me. The book is The Art of Vanishing, a Memoir of Wanderlust by Laura Smith. Laura's writing has appeared in the New York Times, Slate and Mother Jones, and she joins me at my apartment in San Francisco by way of Oakland. Thanks for coming to my house. Thanks for having me. The cats are looking over her shoulder, so <laughs> don't be nervous. They are they are friendly. Okay, so I was attracted to this book, obviously, because our whole show is about wanderlust. Um, not so much about the art of vanishing, but why not, you know? So I looked up what wanderlust means in the dictionary, and it just is a strong desire to travel, which, I don't know, somehow seemed diminished to me. Would you agree that that's the definition?
1: Yeah, that doesn't really... I don't know. I don't feel like that captures the full import of what it is to me it's kind of a yearning for new experiences and that usually means new places but I guess I would say I have a little bit of a broader interpretation of the term and I think in the book a lot of it is about traveling but it's also about that sort of like mental space where you're dealing with new ideas or new relationships or things like that and I think that that can be a part of wanderlust too
0: you start the book by talking about even in your little childhood, looking at what people build their lives of and thinking that's not what I want.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that they're like some people, they have a feeling when they're a kid that there's something more out there and that they live in a very prescribed. I lived in a very like a great lovely neighborhood I had a lovely childhood but i also i thought it was a little bit dull and i wanted to see other places and have some adventures and so i think that's a really common kid thing i guess maybe it's less common for that to last really strongly into adulthood <laughs> but you know but yeah so it holds on to this day well you know it's funny so i wrote the book a couple of years ago and i do think that some of what i was experiencing was something that you feel really strongly in maybe your mid to late 20s when you're kind of figuring out how you want the rest of your adulthood to look and you're sort of reevaluating. It's kind of like, I don't know, I guess like a third life crisis or something. (laughs) But I've noticed it among my peers that it's very common for people to change careers or change partners during that time and just sort of say like, okay, I've been here for a few years in adulthood. Is this how I want the rest of it to look? And you know, in some ways, that was a feeling that was most acute in my late twenties and I, now I'm in my early thirties, and it feels a little bit less strong, if I'm being honest, but I've also had a turbulent several years, and there's nothing like a little turbulence to make you running run towards conventions, so yeah, I mean, if you're traveling all the time, sometimes you have a a desire to be settled for a little while and these things come in waves yeah yeah so
0: who was Barbara Newhall
1: how you pronounce her last name yeah it's Barbara Newhall Follett and she was a child prodigy and adventurer when she was 12 she wrote a very acclaimed novel that was published by Knopf about a little girl who runs away to the wild and disappears forever And then when she was 25, she disappeared forever. So a lot of the book is about trying to understand both her impulses and the sort of like restlessness, the sort of eternal restlessness that she, in the 25 years that I knew about her life, she wasn't able to really reconcile or to find satisfaction. And then trying to also figure out what happened to her. Where did she go? Why was her story enough that you decided to try to follow her trail? You know, it's funny, like, I don't know if this is the typical way that people get involved in biography. And this is not a typical biography by any means. But I would say my relationship with Barbara started as like, I was just reading her writing a little bit here and there. And it sort of started as a sort of passing interest. And I just found something really She was a type of person, a type of role model that I'm often drawn to. Tomboy, spunky types who like don't do what's expected of them. And they're just like, she was just super sassy and fun, really brave. She worked as a ship hand on this three-masted schooner when she was 13. You know, she went without her parents. And when she was 18, she quit her job and hiked the Appalachian Trail with this guy she had just met and ended up marrying. I don't know. I kind of just admired her hunger for life like she just had this sense that life should be more and that's that it's within our control to change it and she just seemed to seize every opportunity and then I had the sense the more I looked into it the more mysterious her disappearance was and it became a question of did something tragic happen or did she seize control of her life and make herself over was there
0: something in that boldness or that tomboyishness that you're attracted to because there's an absence of that in you or is it the opposite or somewhere in between?
1: I mean, I aspire to be like her, but I also, in spending a lot of time with her story, and I think that this probably happens with a lot of biography projects. You start to see the dark side as well. So I really aspire to like be bold, you know, seize the day, like they say, and mm-hmm. live according to how I believed I should. And and she did too. But a lot of bad things happened to her, and she did some bad things, and then she suffered a lot. And so a, a lot of ways, her story became a sort of cautionary tale about the cost of wanderlust and sort of the ways that wanderlust is not just a good thing. It can have sort of a a painful tinge. It means you're not happy where you are, you know, you're lusting to be somewhere else. So yeah, I think there's a lesson to be drawn from that as well. Yeah. Can you give us an example of something
0: bad that happens to her for this boldness?
1: One of the things that kept recurring And this is small. There are a couple of different things. I mean, there was some selfishness. She would run away and not really consider that her mom was suffering, not think about her sister. It was often the people that she loved who paid the price for her absence. But for her, that was a family pattern. Her father, who she really admired, he was also very adventurous and really had a strong sense of wanderlust, he abandoned his family. And he did it three times. So it wasn't just her family. It was each wife and child, and then he abandoned them all. And so there were a lot of ways where it seemed like Wanderlust was their family curse. Right, this
0: general feeling of being unsettled. You reminded me of something that you wrote in here. I wonder if I can find it. Oh, yeah. Can you read this?
1: Yes. I was interested in a different kind of vanishing, the kind where you disentangle yourself from your life and start fresh people would miss you, you could miss them. You could live at a peaceful distance, loving them in a way that is simpler than the way you love someone you have to deal with in everyday life.
0: (laughs) That's the vein of my existence is that dog next door.
1: (laughs) You can't go outside without barking. Oh God. (laughs) You hadn't abandoned them. You were just gone. Mysterious rather than rejecting. Vanishing was a way to reclaim your life. That's like one of the things about leaving or traveling or you know who you leave behind it's the question of who pays for your absence well you eventually
0: after getting married you go abroad Mm. was part of that getting at that notion or was that where you realized that that was what you were doing
1: yes i definitely used travel as a way to run away you know and the other thing that i didn't really say is that One of the darker moments was as I was sort of exploring Barbara's darker impulses and her father's darker impulses, I was seeing those same impulses in myself. After my husband and I got married, we left the country for a year. And I think it did feel like a rejection to our families because we just sort of dipped out on them. And I think that that isn't what travel has to be. Travel can also be about growth and there's... it's important to have distance, I think, in close relationships as well. But I think, in a lot of ways, traveling, at least in our case, became a way for us to like tell our families to be less in our business, but not actually have to say it. Instead of being like, stop making us come to dinner all the time and making us feel guilty when we don't come, instead of like really confronting or really navigating the realities of intimate relationships we just left and we're like sorry we can't come to dinner we're in Vietnam so yeah I think it was a way to do what we wanted without actually having to explain what we were doing to the people we loved is Barbara acting selfishly must you explain what you were doing to your the people that you love that's a good question I mean I think it depends on every relationship and what about for you for me yeah, I mean, I do think that we owe the people we love and who love us explanations and we owe them honesty and and in order to have a more robust relationship, the healthier relationships are the ones where you explain what you're thinking and feeling and maybe what you need. And Barbara, not extravagant, she had a lot of um, very dramatic ways of telling people what she needed, like just like fleeing into the night. But, you know, that's a question that I grapple with, too, especially with her father, it seemed like he lacked a lot of self-awareness. It was like he kept getting involved in family life, but family life clearly wasn't for him. There are certain points when I was reading his letters where I just wanted to shake him and just be like, you're not a family man. Why do you keep entangling these people and promising them things? You can promise people things just by loving them, by being like, I'll be there, I'll help you do this, I'll be a mm-hmm. provider, I'll you know, help uh, raise children. And, and then if you don't do that, yeah, I mean, I think that's bad. Yeah."
0: <laughs> I was going to have you read one other section. I I didn't even ask you before we started if you liked oh, no, to read. Oh, no,
1: I do. I, well, I read the audiobooks, so I'm <laughs> used to reading. Yeah. Okay,
0: okay. So this is more toward wanderlust as a sense of novelty or mm. that the drive to move on is some sort of other deeper drive that's beyond wanting to get beyond what the typical day-to-day mm-hmm. life is. So I thought this is kind of a longer spot. You want to go from here to here? Sure. All right.
1: Every time I started a new movie, bought something, or went out to dinner, I had the sense that these diversions were hollow, that I was just filling the time until the end of something and that something was my life. The decisions I made, this or that coffee, this or that movie, this or that dentist, were meaningless, yet my life was packed to the brim with these inconsequential micro-decisions that all related to entertaining or taking care of myself. I seemed to live on the surface of the world rather than in it. And perhaps most troublingly of all, dealing with this sensation didn't feel urgent. I saw the ways in which I might continue like this forever, how on some level I might want to. Part of me wanted to stay in our apartment. Part of me cherished our routine. Part of me found the idea of leaving again, of getting on a plane and going somewhere new, frightening. I had traveled all over the world, lived on three continents, and foreign places still conjured the specter of danger, machetes at night, rusty nails, the covetous eyes of thieves, humid hospital rooms, and mosquito netting. Part of me preferred our neighborhood and our routine because those things were safe. But I didn't like that part of myself. Occasionally, I had a daydream about having a conversation with an elderly me. In the daydream, old me is propped up on pillows on her deathbed, a white comforter draped over her lap. Her hair is long and white, arranged in a bun on the top of her head. She points her gnarled old lady finger at me. You weren't brave enough, she says, with withering finality. You got one chance and you blew it. Her words and dismissive demeanor sting. She is right. I am scared and awfully tempted to pursue only comfort. I considered the idea that I was at another turning point, that now my life was operating on a fairly predictable cycle in which every couple of years I was faced with a decision stay or go. I could ignore the itch for something new, continue with things the way they were, or I could make a drastic change. The possible lives that would result from those two options were very different, and this excited and scared me. It excited me because at nearly 30, the facts of my life were still malleable. It scared me, perhaps, for the very same reason
0: you're getting at this internal thing where you're saying I kind of like what my life is but I feel like I still need to go do this thing Mm -hmm. almost in the sense that you you do and you don't want to do it and I don't know how you can explain that tug of what you feel is you're comfortable doing and that desire that you should be doing something else do you know what I mean
1: yeah I do and I think that well I think that there are a couple of things that play there I mean On the one hand i think it's really important for growth emotional and intellectual growth to not be satisfied just repeating the same things but to be pursuing new experiences but then there's also this feeling especially when you're young like before you have kids people tell you they're like do these things now do these things now and then there's this looming specter of this dark time where like suddenly everything becomes really stale and vanilla and everything ends and For me, that was pretty terrifying. Like this idea that I would be growing and evolving and working with the world and like really engaged in my community or in in other communities. And that was so exciting. And then it would just end. And and that created this urgency, especially as I approached 30. I was like, oh, is that time coming? Is that time coming? And should I do something? Is there something I should be doing right now? I think in some ways it's a good impulse and it's also like, Just live your life, just relax, you know? Well,
0: It's also as if when you hit 30, you'll somehow lose the agency which you know that you have.
1: Exactly, yeah. And some level that's real. You do get tied down. If you like have kids or a house, you can't just drop everything and leave it. It gets harder to be light on your feet.
0: Boy. And then and then you also get at this notion that in normal average daily life, like if you do put down roots or you do have children or you do have a house, that all we humans are doing are figuring out ways to entertain ourselves and to keep our teeth healthy.
1: Right, right. That's a very dark vision that I had. So now I'm at like a very stable I've been living in Oakland for more than a year and a half, I guess, which is one of the longer times I've spent living somewhere and I'm really seeing the benefit of staying because it's not just like you find your dentist and you know you like go to the movies but you also make lasting connections and I've been seeing over the last couple years the value of setting down roots and seeing how some of my more transient times were a little bit unmooring in ways that I didn't really realize you know I was not so much as a part of a community as observing someone else's community, and now I'm trying to be more involved in a place. I mean, it's also a little scary, too, sometimes, but...
0: That's a feeling I've been having a lot lately, actually, because I've been traveling so much that you do sort of feel like a ghost on the outside of the world, that the world is engaging and you are watching them engage.
1: That's exactly right. That's often the feeling of traveling, and it can be so exciting at first, and then there are moments where you're like, let me in. (laughs) (laughs) I need to know somebody. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and really amazing things can happen. Like, I have really, like, tightened a lot of friendships and reconnected with a lot of family since being back, and that's been amazing, you know? And that's a growing experience, too. Hmm. Would you say in that circumstance that the need for wanderlust
0: has diminished in you?
1: Yeah, I think it's calmer now, but occasionally I get weird pangs like I was sitting at work at my desk the other day and I have a job right now that I really love a history magazine called timeline but I just had a pang for a second to go to this town that I lived in in Mexico and I just had this really strong urge to be there and then I had a really strong urge to be in places that I hadn't been a desire for the unknown so I do still get these feelings but I think some of that incessant yearning has kind of calmed down.
0: Is that that yearning also just a desire for a sense of wonder or novelty? Yeah,
1: I think actually wonder is, I think, a really good way to describe it. It's just like, it's one of the best feelings when you're just noticing like all the details around you and you're kind of like marveling at them. And that can be a feeling that's hard to create in your everyday Mm -hmm. routinized life. Yeah, so
0: this might be old you, but I want to read one thing that you write before we move on to a little bit more into where you are now. On the show, we talk a lot about whether or not if you feel like you don't belong somewhere, if you could wander enough to find the place where all of a sudden it clicks and you say, oh, this is the place where I can be the most me. We've never come up with a great answer of whether or not that's true, but you write about it a little bit. Uh, You wrote, I wanted to believe that people in other places had perfected the art of being satisfied, that my disconnection was a problem of geography, not of being human. I mean, what do you think about that now? You are from Washington DC, you live in Oakland, California.
1: Well, okay, so I do think that there is no perfect place. And Barbara and her dad both spent a lot of energy in their books trying to describe getting to the perfect place. And it was always unsatisfying because you're like, really, that place forever? Like, that doesn't <laughs> sound that great. And you could feel like them feeling dissatisfied. So I think some dissatisfaction is about perspective. And it's also just part of being human. Like it just there's sometimes it's like a little bit of lurking meaninglessness. And you're like, Oh, like, This is life. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it would be more. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's not that way. It sometimes does feel very meaningful. And, but I do think that place matters. I mean, I, it's funny, like moving here to California, it does have a really nice mix of nature and city. And, you know, you can be in a really beautiful place. Like there's a trail near my house there's also concerts come here. It's fun. you know. Like it's, it's not that place doesn't matter, but I think a lot of it is perspective and a lot of it is people too. Yeah. The people that you
0: meet that tether you to it. Yeah. Did studying Barbara and looking so closely at the good and the bad of her change your thinking, do you think?
1: Yeah, it did make me less enchanted with this idea that you could just find the place. In her case and in her father's case, so many times I saw them being like, I found the place. I found the island. Like, this is it. This will finally be it. And then, you know, after you see them do it so many times, you're kind of like, no, the problem is you. Like, <laughs> You have something to work through. So yeah, it did make me less enchanted with the idea that you could just, even though I remain a tiny bit enchanted with that idea.
0: the enchanted with the idea of vanishing.
1: Or yeah. Finding the place. Or finding a place. Like, finding a place where you could, like, have your needs met, feel connected, feel like you are your truest self and that you're you're like simpatico with your environment but i still do believe in it a little bit maybe yeah.
0: why are we attracted to stories about people disappearing completely vanishing do you ever read post secret yeah yeah so it's like this online thing where people send their postcards in that tell the secret that they won't share with anyone else and the most chilling ones are always for me the ones that deal with vanishing I don't read it all the time, but I remember when it was first a project, there was one that has a drawing of the Twin Towers burning down, and it just said, everybody who knew me thinks I'm dead. And that one was so chilling. And then this, just in recent weeks, there was another one that said, you think I'm dead. It's for the best, but I am so sorry. Somehow it just makes this chill go down your back, but at the same point, what is that? It also
1: seems so tragic and sad and... man I think it's so many different things but one angle and the one that you're hitting on there is this idea of like rebirth and a new life that especially seems so impossible today where everyone has their like little trackers on and they're you know like your internet footprint is just but the idea that you could go and reinvent yourself is just so appealing especially if you've done a lot of things to like screw up your life and then you could maybe just like not have done that but <laughs> I I think the thing that Barbara's story shows and that her dad's story shows too is that you never reinvent yourself you go and you're often make a lot of the same mistakes mm-hmm. and you you know your troubles follow you and I think there's sort of this idea that the problem is everything around you but it's often something else yeah
0: I don't want to give away what ha- what you discover about Barbara's what happens to her. So we'll leave it there for her. But her story is a great through line because all the time you're trying to look. So one other thing I want to kind of get into is that you get into this notion of interpersonal travel, which is how you can travel without hitting the road. And this is something that we haven't really talked about at all. But what does that even mean to you?
1: It could mean a lot of different things. Of but course. what it meant for me in the book was my husband and I were trying to kind of reimagine marriage like we thought marriage as an institution was sort of stale and we were trying to find a way sort of counterintuitively to like imagine a different kind of relationship where we could be more free in our marriage and so we tried an open marriage and that was oh man like people ask me now how I feel about that and it was just it might be part of the reason why I'm feeling a little bit less restless now because I've been on a roller coaster for a few years and I'm like, get me off of this. But, um, you know, it it is, and so much of travel is not just about you seeing things. It's about you meeting people or the people you're traveling with. In Barbara's, in a lot of her travels, there was a love interest with her. And so it's not just about discovering a new place, but Discovering a new person, and so I see those impulses as like very much related. Like love is revolutionary. You kind of discover new things about yourself. You discover a new person. It's the undiscovered country, you know. It's the it's another way that you can explore, but it can be very emotionally turbulent.
0: Yes, which I'm guessing from your <laughs>
1: the exhaustion and face, that it was. Yes, I feel exhausted even thinking
0: about it. <laughs> really? Yeah. So it stands to reason that you two have decided to dial that back.
1: Yeah, yeah. But our I'll be honest, Like our relationship was never the same afterwards. Whether that's for better or worse, that remains to be seen. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, how so? Are you willing to talk about that at all? Uh, I don't feel confident that we'll be together in the future anymore. I think a lot of damage was inflicted during that time, but I do not feel confident that in 10 years, PJ will be my husband, you know? And so, yeah, that's hard. It does feel strange realizing that, I don't think that would've happened if we hadn't done this, so, but then maybe it should've happened.
0: I don't know, yeah, it's- yeah, Do you think it, it wouldn't It wouldn't have happened because Something was broken
1: in the openness there. Yeah, I think there was traumatic damage that occurred in the openness. It was like really hard to recover from.
0: What is that traumatic damage? Because everybody's talking about doing this now.
1: Yeah, there are ways you can betray the people you love, even when you're being honest and everyone has agreed to the terms. And there are ways in which you you can agree to communicate about everything and be really understanding, but you might not, understand what's happening to you while it's happening to be able then to communicate it to a partner. And then it sort of hits you like six months later, like, wait, I can't trust you anymore or something like, and also things happen that you can just never predict. The brain on love is like one of the most like unruly things. And so you're choosing to enter into that situation. And that can be really fulfilling. Like a lot of people find that really fulfilling and they find the multiple relationships of it really fulfilling I think PJ and I never found a way to maintain our closeness while becoming close with other people too right because you fall in love with other people and now do you want to be with them all the time yeah there's a part in the book where I talk about your irrational love brain it just wants what it wants and there is like no reasoning with it like you can be like Every fact in your life can be like, don't do that thing. And you're just like, I just want like five more minutes with that person. And it's so hard. And the mental acrobatics, like the ways that you can deceive yourself, the world just runs on human denial. Like it's unbelievable the things that you can like tell yourself and realize in retrospect, I was lying to myself. The sort of energy and the constant analysis that you have to do to make sure that what you're doing in the moment is in keeping with your long term ideology is just so hard to navigate. But I think there's some people who are maybe self-aware enough and they're doing a great job and that's great for them. I, I failed.
0: <laughs> so Even in the book, you talk about when you get married, that it's almost a surprise to you that you have agreed and given that you still had all this wanderlusty things and that you had this dream for a different sort of life.
1: Yeah. And I think that, you know, that's there are probably a fair number of people who relate to that, who like didn't imagine their lives converging in such conventional ways but then they fall in love and then they're like oh I want to like buy a house with this person and they're like I want to like little people that are like this person and and that's that's not a bad thing you know I started I understand why people make conventional decisions and I understand why they resist them
0: let me just switch it to a quote. okay so this is a quote you have in the in the book that Barbara wrote to a friend of hers She writes, if you fully realize what a messy world it is and are reconciled to certain facts such as continual change and permanence in nothing, why then you can have a surprisingly good time. Now, I can see how at the time that would have been a good good justification, um, but also maybe in hindsight, it feels like, oh, well, she's deluding herself. But we build these cases, don't we?
1: Yeah, I feel hearing that quote, I... I'm like reading that with two different heads. And one, I'm like, oh, she's so fun. Like, she's so free, Like, nothing lasts. Go and like, just seize it all. And then my other head is like, no, the non-permanence of things. Sometimes I think, you know, this is something that especially can be true in relationships. We believe that emotional things that happen to us are impermanent. It's like, oh, that was just an experience. But our experiences, like they have this way of lingering, like scent in our clothes. Things are more permanent than we think and relationships are fragile and I think that was one thing that I learned is you know I believed that my marriage was so so strong and like this is my best friend and I trusted him completely and he trusted me completely and like I was pretty naive and was and thought we have such a solid foundation we can afford to play with it a little bit that's just pretty foolhardy things get dark quickly (laughs) even in strong situations you know
0: but even in, in experiencing other people and getting to know other sides of yourself, it's not in a good way. Maybe you and PJ won't end up together, but look how much was gained.
1: Yeah. It's more what what has been lost. It's weird because I actually like, I, I have two minds about it because I can't, I can't wish myself back to a state of innocence and I also wouldn't want to because I do feel like I learned things about the nature of a relationship, about myself, about him, and it's also hard to tell, particularly where I am now. Like, this is maybe something I should answer in like 10 years, <laughs> but I also can't really imagine undoing it. You know, I can't really imagine. Just saying like, no, no, send me back, erase it all. I just, that would feel like a, I don't know, it would feel like a lobotomy or something. (laughs) So it's not so much that you failed, it's just that it had a different outcome than you thought. It did, it did. And, you know, and there's no way to know which life is the better life and which outcome is the true shape of my life. That's the sort of haunting thing. You can't, it just kind of happens and you just keep going. Yeah.
0: So well, as a result of all this and your book coming out and then these questions, where are you now? Uh, What are you looking for? What have you found? What's the best? What's the worst?
1: I think what I'm looking for more now is I'm feeling more satisfaction now and I'm feeling more connected to the people that I care about than ever. And I guess what I'm looking for is creating more of those connections, but also finding the sweet spot. And this is where I started the book, wanting to find the sweet spot between intimacy and novelty. How can you have those things at the same time? And so I think I'm still, and it will probably be a lifelong endeavor to try to reconcile those two things. Yeah. So the book
0: is The Art of Vanishing, a memoir of wanderlust. Thank you, Laura, for being here. Thanks so much for having me. And we'll put a link up so you can find the book. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. If you love the show, please support it. You can choose to donate to the show. Listeners like you who donate have kept this show alive for the last four years. We can't do it without you. Find the donate button at our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Click it and let us know You love the show by keeping it going. And one small note, the donate button only appears on the desktop version of the website. I know, trying to fix it, trying to figure it out. So please do take the time to support the show that you love. Talk to you next week. Bye.